This is going to be episode three of the Let's Grab a Cup podcast, where I sit down with my friend Ray Alexander. He spent over 28 years as a police officer in Southern California, and his story actually starts at a young age, where he battled a gang and drug neighborhood and overcame that and worked his way through using uh, um, really discipline and mindfulness. We got him through that and into the Marine Corps and onto being a police officer. Ray has now started a uh, company for um, firearm instruction called Alexander Sentry Group, and um, hope you enjoy this episode as you hear uh, Ray talk about how relaxed he is now as a retired man. Enjoy. Welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast. Is where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency. We provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon. So why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. All right, well, welcome to Let's Grab a Cup. I am Adam Sturgeon, your host. And today I'm going to be talking to someone I've known for quite a while, Um he was a mentor to me, and um, we worked alongside each other for several years. His name is Ray Alexander. Good morning, Ray. How you doing? Good morning. How you doing, Adam? Pretty good. So, Ray, uh, you spent most of your time, your career in law enforcement, about 28 years, and you started in, uh, in the military and the Marines, and um, I think it's fascinating. You spent most of your life in service, and now you're starting a company called um alexander century group um focus on focus on uh firearms training that's it yes uh basic safety and uh, firearms training there are a lot of people going out uh buying guns and they're leaving the store without any knowledge on what to do with them or how to how to take them apart disassemble them clean them maintain them or not to mention even marksmanship skills Uh, i take my kids to the range regularly and while once one time we were at the range, there was someone who had accidental discharge in the dirt in front of us. The guy had a jam. It was a basic stovepipe, but had no idea how to clear it. Came over and asked me. He had the good sense to come and ask me, you know, to help him out. So, you know, <clears throat> being that I've always enjoyed firearms training, you know, I figured I'd, I'd do just a basic uh, rifle and pistol course. So I uh, reached out to the uh, NRA and got my certificates for that and uh, a basic pistol and rifle and a range safety officer. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you told me that um, a few months back and I thought that was amazing because, uh, and, you know, you've been kind of under undercover here doing all this stuff, uh, getting your uh, business set up. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, uh, what's that? Thank you. Yeah. I'm really happy to have you on. Um, so as we get started, one of the things I like to do, um, especially with my guys in Squad Now, in Squad Now is uh, the idea of um, checking in and seeing where you're coming out um, to the t- to the day. So with you, I um, presented a question to you, and the question for you today is, uh, what is one thing that you are grateful for that um, happened to you over, let's say, the last month? Well, given the present uh, state that we're living in, health, having good health right now seems to be everything to me. Just, you know, uh, being able to take care of myself, that puts me in a position to take care of my family. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my health, Adam. I mean, there are so many people um, who walk away with injuries 
and are, that are just not able. I mean, clearly in our profession, we spend enough time <clears throat> in the emergency rooms to appreciate good health, having seen what some people are going through. So that, that that's always resided with me is, you know, being able to maintain and keep good health. Yeah, I know that's important. And right now everybody is, feels like everybody's getting sick left and right. Like we just went off well, my family three weeks, like everybody got sick in the house. Um, so yeah, I know that's important. Um, it's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're healthy and your family's healthy and you look healthy. Thank you. I like the beard I like that growing in. I can't grow a beard like that. Well, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we're talking 32 and a half years of service where I had to adhere to a grooming standard. So uh, my fiance is not happy with it. She <laughs> daily asked me to clear it. My mom wants me to get rid of it. But uh, I'm like, uh, after 32 and a half years, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> there you go. Hey, it looks fantastic, man. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about, about you. Tell me how you got into, you know, this, this, idea of service, service to your country, service to the city, you know, what, what brought you to this? You know, tell, tell us about, tell us about Ray. So, uh, we, we've talked a little bit offline, uh, for me growing up in South central Los Angeles, you know, I, I lived in an area that they call the jungle. Uh, most people know it from training day, the apartment complex that he goes into, uh, where all those guys are hanging out. You know, I, I lived there, you know, and coming home from football practice, you know, I would get stopped, but someone would recognize me from playing sports. And they'd be, oh, no, he's cool. He's cool. Leave him alone. And being an athlete, you know, I, I got a pass, you know, walking through there, which, you know, was uh, it was it was it was scary. So uh, there were even there was a time when they found bodies in our pool in that complex. Jeez. And uh, back then, the Jamaicans were doing a lot of drugs and, you know, they would be a shootout when they would get robbed. And no one would call the police because everyone was buying dope from them. So, <clears throat> and my parents, uh, being substance abuse, uh, abusive themselves, you know, had issues. And so I, I needed to get out. I needed to leave. And so I joined the Marine Corps, which a lot of people don't know. I was 22 when I went in because I was working at Santa Monica College. I mean, working and attending Santa Monica College, trying to, you know, make it happen. And it just was not happening. So I felt it was better for me to get out of Los Angeles at the time. And that's why I joined the Marine Corps. I went in open contract and being over 19, because usually at 19 and a half, they let you carry a firearm uh, and become a military policeman. So I went in open contract, became a military policeman. Mm. Uh, did my time at Lackland Air Force Base. because That's where we went for our academy training. And then off to Okinawa, Japan is where I went for a year. So, wow. so the jungle, is that the exact, you said train day, is that the exact same complex that they reference in the movie? It It is. Or the, the area. It is a uh, square miles. You know, it, it, they call it the jungle because once you go up in there, it's very easy to get lost oh, because okay. of the streets are so windy and there's a lot of apartment complexes in there. It's like the projects. Okay. But it's just, you know, that was just the name that was given to it. I don't, I don't know how it, or originated, but it's like a jungle when you go in there. And uh, I'm pretty sure if you talk to him from LAPD, they, they don't go in there by themselves. They probably go in there several cars deep, right. you know, at least back in the late seventies and eighties, when I was growing up, I'm sure it was like that. Now it's different. They've turned a lot of them into comp into uh, Airbnbs oh. and condos. Are you serious? So, 
Yes, yes. So the atmosphere has totally changed uh, in there, which is nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, a you lot know, of changes all over the city. Really, yes, it's nothing like what it was when I was growing up. How old were you when you were living there? High school. Okay. So how, what was it what was like the when you first moved over there? Well, my dad had already lived over there, but because my parents weren't together, but my mom's uh, drug abuse had gotten so bad that I asked my dad if I could stay with him because he wasn't as bad as my mom. My mom's drug abuse was debilitating. It, it you know, she couldn't work or do function or do anything. Uh, you know, it's like coming home from school. There'd be strangers in the house. You know, laying in my bed. You know, she passed out uh, high but her face on a plate of food, you know, I mean, it was really bad. And so, uh, I need, I need, I, you know, even then I, I think it's just the grace of God that I had the good sense to know that I need to get out of here. I need to, you know, cause I've, I've always envisioned myself and seen myself as a man I wanted to be, and it wasn't going to happen there. And so my dad wasn't as bad as my mom. So, uh, he let me come and stay with him. Uh, once I left middle school, I started high school over there with him. I can imagine like that, like the seeing that every day. And I didn't, obviously I didn't know this about you until we, you know, we, we talked a little bit yesterday about this, this topic, but um, I didn't even know this, you know, while we worked together. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it never came up and it's not that I, I don't try and keep it from anyone because I, I mostly share it when I would run into young adults having problems and they would have no idea. And I would, Hey, listen, you know, I know what you're going through. You know, you're not talking to someone, you know, that, that can't sympathize, not that anyone else couldn't, but it hasn't lived what you're experiencing. I mean, because, uh, listen, I was, it was so bad with my mom. I was out of the house two, three in the morning, you know, running the streets and I was in junior high school. So my first daughter was born when I was 15. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I was a dad at 15. Mind you, that wasn't the first time I had been sexual, you know? So, so my young, my, my teenage life was very, uh, it was wild. Yeah. 15 years old with a kid. How, I mean, what did you do? What was the, what was the course of action? Like, were you able to provide at that point? Like with your family, was your family taking care of her with all this stuff going on with your mom and your dad? Right. Uh, no, not nearly as much as they should. And granted me, you know, being 15, I didn't have any provisions. So, uh, but my, I had a stepmom, uh, Carolyn, who actually worked probation for a while. She wasn't a probation officer. And a lot of guys on the department would say, Hey, I talked to your mom, your mom. I knew they were talking about, uh, she worked in the offices over there, but she would, uh, send stuff, you know, diapers and, you know, stuff over there to her. And uh, my daughter's still grateful to her this day because her mom would tell her about that. So she, my daughter still has a relationship with her because of the impression that her mom told her about my stepmom, Carolyn Burnham. Wow. So, you know, I'm, we're forever grateful that, you know, she was there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's without the support, I think you, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know how you would survive that. Yeah, and it's weird, you know, having kids, because now I have a total of four, three girls, and all all adults, and the youngest boy, 12. I, I can't even imagine them having kids at 15. So I was like, man, you know, what was I doing? You know, that was just, 
uh, another world, another time, you know? Yeah. So, so how'd you get it? How'd you get from, so you moved to the jungle. Um, so obviously uh, you said that your dad was a little, um, so you said better compared to your mom, but still struggling. His drug, his drug problem was, he was a working drug user. You know, he was into cocaine and, you know, stuff like that. So, <laughs> side note, he told me to clean up the living room one day. And so I went in there and I saw this album with all this uh, Coke on it. And I wiped it all on the floor and put the album away and vacuumed. He came in there. I was like, where's my shit? You know? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> he just went oh off. Gosh. He wasn't mad at me, you know, but he was just like, oh, my God. Did you no. know what it was? Like, no, you- I didn't. I had no idea. No idea. So. So, uh, so I was staying with my dad and I knew I needed to do something. Uh, when I got out of high school, I was, I was working at this place called sports connection in Santa Monica health club. I was just cleaning up machines basically there, uh, part-time and I was going to Santa Monica college. And so then when, uh, um, it came time for me to pay child support, I knew I needed to do more to take care of my daughter. I needed uh, benefits. And so that's how I ended up joining the Marine Corps, uh, to provide for my, my daughter at the time. So, well, I can't believe, I, I mean, we always talk about like, you know, the, we, we worked in an area that, um, that had these type of issues going on. So I personally didn't have a story that could relate to people growing up in that, in that type of area. Um, but you could, you could easily relate to these kids. And so I think that like that is going to be helpful for other officers or other people who want to be police officers that are living in this type of situations and knowing that it's possible to succeed, it's possible to get out, but, but you have to have a pretty like strong mindset to be able to do that. I don't know seeing that every day and you're saying run the streets at two in the morning. What are you, what are you doing for yourself to like keep yourself on the, you know, I know you just said you weren't perfect, but keep yourself in the right, you know, mindset to get going, to get to the place that you want to be. Yeah. Believe it or not, there are, uh, for me, it was athletes. Tony Dorsett, you know, back then, O.J. Simpson, you know, there were uh, athletes that I just admired. They were they were men, you know, they were they were class act. They dressed well, they were suited and they were just versatile, you know, in what they did. And for me, that was the kind of mentor that I hung on to. There was also a couple of guys from the neighborhood that became firefighters. Uh, Leroy McKnight. He was a firefighter and he ended up passing in a tragic, tragic car accident coming back from uh, Vegas, I think. And they had a nice tribute to him. You can probably find it online somewhere, but where was he, he a firefighter? Yes. Yes. He, he was in LA, LA city. Yeah. Yeah. But talking with him, because I was going to go in the fire department, what I took at Santa Monica was fire science before I joined the uh, Marine Corps. I was taking fire science at Santa Monica and because uh, he, he had just encouraged me. So it was guys like that who were athletic, but class act, who were taking care of business that I claim that I was clinging to, you know, and listening to what they were telling me on how, how to, you know, do better. And, you know, one of the guys from the neighborhood bought a house in Cerritos. It was like, wow, wow. You know, it was nice, you know. Yeah. yeah he's moving out. So it just gave you hope, you know there were people around that you were seeing doing things and you thought, okay, okay. You know, as long as I stay away from drugs and gangs, you know, 
And believe it or not, uh, in a black community, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. When I would come home from Santa Monica and work, uh, guys would be like, oh, you think you're good? Why are you trying to be white? You know, dressing like that. They, you know, there was peer pressure. And so yeah. I think that's a challenge for other uh, other young black males that may want to. They have to deal with that pressure. And some of them aren't strong enough to be like, no, nah, I mean, I'm good. Y'all do what y'all going to do. You know, but I'm going in this direction. I think that's a challenge for, you know, some if they don't have strong uh, role models around that they can lean on because Leroy was huge. <laughs> you know, wasn't nobody, gonna, you know, questioning that, that brother, you know, and they were, they were just, you know, guys like that, that were strong. And you were like, okay, I, I like his, Way he's way he's doing things opposed to you know this that you know that, that's that's actually weak. This dude's a family man taking care of business. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I like that. Yeah. So I think that you mentioned that strong role model, and then seeing those like seeing those role models for you, and the idea of hope. I think that seeing hope yeah. is probably the most important part of that. Um, the idea of like how can I how can I succeed here? But seeing even glimpses of hope, like it's possible. And to be able to provide that hope to other people and and show like hey, it it is possible you know show that strong you know family man yes. you said role model yes so and then I ended up going to the Marine Corps and fortunately I had a great time in the Marine Corps as a military policeman my time overseas my time down at Pendleton uh, like I said I was a military policeman and I was able to get on a what we call a react team which was like a SWAT team. And, uh, you know, that, that was just one of the best times of my life, you know, even with the police department. And I say where I'm going with this is that it's not always the job, it's the people that you're working with. And I've always enjoyed the crew of men and women that I was around that just made work, no matter the hours, the, the mission that just made it, you know, worthwhile, you know, made it easier to get through. So yeah. that, that camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the one thing I've noticed lately is, I've enjoyed most is coming when I come to work is the the time we've had talking and the camaraderie and all that, all that part of the job is what's, you know, keeping me going. And I hope, I think keeping a lot of the, a lot of us going because, you know, the job is tough these days. Yes. And that comes back to what you uh, uh, prefaced in the beginning leadership, you know, your leaders have to provide an environment that everyone feels good, that everyone feels like they're supported and they're getting training Like you know, your leaders want them to get training so that they can do a better job. You know, they have to be an all around good leader. Cause I know they have their political issues they have to deal with, but remember the men and women that are, you know, in the field, uh, because they're, that, that's always your bread and butter. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's always the meat and potatoes of law enforcement is uh, patrol. You know, we, we are in the spotlight. We're in that fishbowl. So I think, uh, as long as we have in good leadership and position, uh, that profession will be fine. But when there's not, then, you know, there's, there's going to be a problem. Yeah. How did you, uh, how'd you get into like military police? Because I know when you start, I, from what I know, I'm not, I'm not in the military, but from what I've heard, like you, like they kind of direct you towards a certain job assignment or how do you decide that you're going to be a military police officer? Well, first, uh, you take a, a test. I forgot what it's called, an acronym for it, uh, ASVAB or something like that, but it's a test. 
and you have to score a certain level on the test, and they, they can tell you what jobs you're eligible for. So if you're uh, no offense to the old threes, you know, <laughs> that that's basically a grunt, you know, uh, a field, you know, troop, uh, 0300s. <clears throat> Some guys, you know, that's what they went in for. It's being 0300. That's, that's a number that's given to your uh, military occupation, MOS, military occupational skill. Uh, a 5811 was military police. So <clears throat> if you did well enough on your test and you had certain jobs that were you were eligible for, uh, I actually went in open contract, but because I had a decent score and I was over 19, again, you can become a military policeman. So open contract, that's what they gave me. I didn't find out what my job was until I got ready to graduate from boot camp. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, and, and you got to remember um, what I was saying about the environment that I was growing up in. When they asked me what I wanted to do, I was like, I don't care. I just need to get out of here. So they put me down as open contract because I, I really, I literally didn't care. I just wanted to leave and get out of here before I got in trouble or things just got worse. So <laughs> to the point where, I would take wherever you give me, just get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I don't know. I, I was kind of sick because I enjoyed the Marine Corps. I, I loved it, you know? And I think because I went in at 22, it was different for me because I had been trying to pay bills and live my life. So for me, it was like, we get to stay here for free, free, free food, you know, and I get a check I'm working out every day. You know, it was like, this is nice, you know, where other guys are complaining. So that's subsequently, I graduated as the honor man of our platoon. (laughs) What is the honor man? Uh, You get a set of dress blues and they promote you. You get a a promotion instead of a private. You know, I was uh, uh, one rank above. So, you know, they just kind of give you some gimmies for being a good recruit for being, you know. But again, I was loving it. So, yeah, I think it's all, all perspective, right? Like you where you came from. And yeah. what you were trying to get out of compared to yeah. someone else who, you know, maybe like live, live different life and didn't have those type of struggles and want, and we're just, right. I'm going to be in the military and they're more picky about what they wanted to do and had a different mindset, you know, and complaining, yeah, like you yeah. said, complaining. Yeah. There was a cat named, uh, you see me. He was from San Clemente. The first night he was like, I'm going to call my dad. I'm getting out of here. Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, come, okay. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, you can tell he grew up, you know, in a very probably prominent household, you know, they chewed him out and sent him back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my so. gosh. Well, it's kind of like how things have been changing too, even with the uh, law enforcement career, because when, I mean, when you started, let, like, let alone when I started, but when you started, like you, there was no complaining, like complaining, right? Like you, you went in and you did what you were told and you took the suck, right? Like there was none of, none of this like, oh, I don't like this assignment while you're on training and I don't want to, you know, none of that. Yeah, I think just there was a different level of grit because a lot of guys who were coming on were prior service men, even really before I came on. A lot of guys were coming out of the military and the mindset of law enforcement was very paramilitary and the academy trainings were paramilitary. Whereas I think they're more college environment, even in the military, I hear they don't, you know, they have stress cards when they're being stressed out, that they hold up. So uh, I think our, uh, our country 
in terms of military and law enforcement uh, is changing, you know, all, all the way around. I don't think it's just, you know, our, our profession, but yeah, to answer your question, it was a different time where you were allowed to do police work, you know, because as much as the community doesn't like it, you do need a certain amount of grit to get down into certain places and to go in certain alleys to, you know, find out certain leads to find uh, those who would do you harm, you know, because they're not just walking around with a sign. So uh, does a level of professionalism need to stay in place? Yes. There should always be uh, professionalism. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that that's without saying, and I think most guys get in trouble when they stop being professional and they start taking certain things personal, you know, uh, because guys are going to talk to you any kind of way. They're going to, you know, be disrespectful, but it's up to us to maintain our professionalism and let the courts uh, make the final decision. Let, let them, you know, do the punishment. It's not our position to do punishment. We're just there to bring them to court. And uh, I think it's challenging for some because, you know, like back in the day, guys are a little more heavy handed, you know, if we're, if we're being honest. And unfortunately in some of the more, um, poverty neighborhoods, more minorities were dealing with it than some of the more affluent neighborhoods. Right. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate, but again, if you are not from certain areas, you don't know, you see a guy like me walking around who happened to live there, but was athletic, you know, even, even the thugs knew, Oh, okay. He's cool. But to some law enforcement officers, you know, you in that area, you're in that area, you know, it was, it was kind of all the way around. You know, one thing I noticed about you, even while we worked around each other is the, your, that tone, that real calm tone when you dealt with, you know, either, whether it's people at work, but like the public, you know, someone called you, whether it's a complaint or uh, investigation or whatever, you always had that like soothing, calm tone about you. And just, you kind of like, just relax. It's always about like, come on, let's just uh, let's relax guys. Let's bring it down. And, and I think that was, that I like, I remember just seeing that like pretty regularly. Yeah. And it's funny because I, uh, I tell my daughters and my friend's daughters always have a plan to uh, disable who people that you meet. <laughs> 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 it was something we said in the Marine Corps. I'm keeping it light, you know, but it was, you know, I always tell them, Hey, I always have a plan. So uh, my, my demeanor didn't always reflect what was in my mind. Right. I was thinking, you know, because if I was talking to someone, I might have my hand up by my face, but it was just to protect myself in case they wanted to throw a punch real quick, you know? So I would talk to people, you know, there were certain things going on in my mind right. that I, I was preparing on how I was going to, handle this person if they went south but it wasn't necessarily reflected in my conversation my tone you know always sizing them up so that's funny yeah so tell, yeah. So tell uh i know we kind of a little brief but like uh your your experience in uh the police department you know talk talk a little bit about you know what you did and you know maybe what what was uh some challenges that you faced well, I uh, honestly, I don't think I had too many challenges. I had a great time in law enforcement. I call BS on that. There's no way you went through 28 years with zero challenges. My challenges were uh, my own. 
you know, at one point late in my career, I tried out for SWAT and I didn't get through the inter- interview process. That was, you know, my, my own challenge. I prepared for it physically, but didn't prepare for the interview as much as I should. So, but you know, that, that's on me. So, you know, th- those are, when I say, uh, as far as from, uh, the department, there was probably one episode where I felt, uh, excuse me, there was a challenge from the department, but for the most part, it was great. And my challenge then was when I had gotten promoted, as soon as I got promoted, I, um, I was working graveyard, new sergeant. I was handling everything on my own, just fine. Uh, call outs, you know, you name it, graveyard, I was handling it. And so there was a fatality on graveyard and the day sergeants said they would relieve me. Okay, fine. So I left and then I had a lieutenant uh, decide to write me up for uh, leaving the scene unattended. But nobody wrote the guys up who said they were relieving me. They they had no, you know, no problems with them. Interesting. So to me, that was, you know, that was very suspect. And it, yeah, like say, interesting. It was like, wait a minute. You know, because I, I, I wouldn't just go home, you know, you know, right. I'm not that kind of dude. I, I'm a serviceman. You know, I've been serving uh, Marine Corps. You know, I, I've been, you know, I understand orders and responsibility. And when I'm relieved, Okay, I'm relieved, but uh, either they were too intimidated by those day sergeants that they weren't going to say anything to them, or they were just, you know, looking to uh, mess with me. So uh, that was a challenge. And uh, I had another, you know, say another another time there was another issue with the same uh, lieutenant, and they ended up putting me on a pip. What's a what's a pip? <laughs> For people who don't know, uh, PIP personal improvement plan, where they're evaluating you weekly, and you sit down and they talk about what they're evaluating you on and how you did, you know, and your your basically your performance uh, for that week. And so I got a new lieutenant, and uh, you were a sergeant at the time. Yes, I got a new lieutenant who watched me for about two weeks and he was like, this is kind of a waste of time, you know, and he went to bat for me and went and told the chiefs is, all you going to do is ha- turn a good sergeant into a disgruntled sergeant. You know, he may not do it the way you or I do it, handle something, but it's always the same result at the end of the day. And they took me off of it. How so, long were you on the pit for? It probably it was supposed to be like six months, I think three to six months, but it only lasted about a month because, you know, again, uh, this Lieutenant who ended up promoting up the ranks to deputy chief was like, uh, this, 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 this is a waste of time, you know? Yeah. He couldn't find, you know, there's nothing wrong with what I was doing, you know, when they, when they, when they, when they wanted me to sign for it, to put me on it. I, I, I chuckled a little and I laughed kind of like, you know, like, like this. And they asked why. And I was like, well, because why am I laughing? You know, I says, well, because uh, at the end of the day, I'm just going to come to work and do my job like I've been doing. And my, the men and women that work for me 
are happy with my performance. So I'm going to keep making sure they're taken care of. You know, you guys can do what you need, feel like you need to do, but uh, you know, I'm confident in what I'm doing in my job, you know, and what happens in law enforcement sometimes is you may well know you can do that to someone and they will second guess all their decisions after that. And that's when they'll spiral downhill because they're worried about the people that are watching them and the people that are, you know, evaluating them. But when you know what you're doing and you're confident in your job, you know, you're going to have hiccups. Just keep, continue to march, continue to march, let them do what they need to do. You know, because I, I was confident in my, in my abilities as a Sergeant. So I think that's, that is important to say as far as the, the your mindset, if you feel like, you know, I'm doing my job, I know how to do my job. I'm going to continue to do my job. Well, they, someone, or they don't like what I did in this incident or these, these maybe whatever, how I'm handling these incidents. Um, okay. Well then I'll, you know, I'll, I'm still gonna do my job for my guys. I think taking care of the troops gets lost when you're worried about yourself too much. Yeah. So, and just so that we're clear, the second incident when they decided to put me on the PIP was the use of force. Uh, some guy was ranting on that, it was 10, 15 cops. They all jumped me. They all kicked me and need me when it was just two officers <laughs> that were there. And because I didn't take a complaint from him uh, about this allegedly 10 or 15 officers beating up on him, uh, they felt I had, you know, neglected. And I was neglectful in my duties of taking a, use of a, uh, a complaint from him. Uh, the guy had ran. Two officers caught him, took him to the ground in the story. We don't even have that many dudes working graveyard, you know, on that show. Yeah. But, uh, was there any, was there any evidence to show that there was more than two people, two officers involved in it? No. Like, I mean, like, I mean, like, could there have even been two more than two officers involved in it? No, no, it it wasn't. It was a simple deal. Traffic stop. He got out and ran the two cops caught up to him in someone's backyard and take him to the ground and wherever. Yeah. Uh, he was just ranting on and ranting on, you know, and my years and experience, this dude is just a, a, a nut, you know, ranting on, you know, why'd you run? Cause that, cause that's what y'all do. Why'd you run? You know? So, but that was the other incident, those two incidents. And they decided that let's put, let's put him on a pip. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that, did, did you do you have any, did you feel any, uh, I know you said you're pretty strong in your commitment to handling, handling your calls and taking care of the troops, but did you feel any, how, I guess I should say, how did you feel, you know, during that month period of time while trying to decide, was this going to be six months? You don't really know the length of time until they end it. So like, how were you feeling during that time? Uh, I, I was okay. Like, again, for me, I just put it out of my mind and just went back to work. You know, I can't. And I encourage anyone, don't focus on their job, focus on my job and what I had to do, you know, because if I'm looking over my shoulder, worrying about what they're saying, if I'm, if I'm handling it the way they want me to, then I'm going to have a problem because I can never know what's in someone else's mind. Right. But I know I, I can deal with what's in front of me and make, make my decision accordingly. And then if you ask me about it, I'll, I'll tell you why I made my decisions, you know, that way, you know, that for me, that that's the best. That was my mindset. Just go to work and uh, handle your business. Yeah, you know. I think. Uh, well, was this pre or post body cam? 
Uh, this was before body cam. Yeah. Yeah. And now, even nowadays, um, we could have an incident on body camera filming it. And if the, if a subject or someone says that an officer did something, uh, regardless if it's the incident's recorded, like the whole thing's recorded, it's uh, the expectation is that a complaint is taken. Like that's yeah. it. That's that's where it's gone to at this point. And this is I, like you said, you're you're talking about before body cam. So I know uh, processes were different and how we did things, but it's at the point where it doesn't even matter if it's on video. And if they say that they someone did something to them, even if there's proof, absolute proof, it didn't happen. My job as a supervisor is to still take this complaint. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it feels like a it feels like a waste of time to me. Um, because they're gonna they're getting inundated with cases in internal affairs, mm-hmm. you know, and they're dealing with all this stuff. But I mean, well, I don't I don't know if they do this or not. I can't remember, but they should have two files or may, maybe even just a short form, some something. Because I I I get that they want to document that because they don't want I get they don't want that person to go somewhere else and to another attorney or something and file a complaint with them and then come back to us. And it's like, well, we don't know anything about it, but uh, a short form, you know, look at this video sh- shows nothing and be done with it. I think that would be, uh, that would suffice. I don't know if they have that or not. You know, again, I've yeah. been so out of it. <laughs> I know you've been free of all of this nonsense. Hey, you know, what's funny though. Um, one thing that uh, about you, especially the last couple of years of your career that people would mention, and I don't even know if you knew this, but like they expected if if Ray got called to a scene of a complaint, a complaint was going to be taken every single time. At least that's, that's what the thought was. And um, it kind of makes sense after you're saying the reason why you were put on a pip. Like it completely makes sense why, okay, well, if someone's going to say com- the word complaint, take a complaint. Like, and I, it completely makes sense. Uh, there's another part to that it was because I didn't want somebody to come behind my back, someone with more rank and try and come after that officer. So I'd rather do my due diligence as a supervisor and show that there's no reason for this to move forward, you know? Yeah. And I I get why guys do that. But for me, you know, again, as a leader, my job is to make sure you have one, you know? And so uh, that was my way of protecting them. If I can prove that, you know, there's nothing here. I can ask all the right questions. I knew they weren't going to hear about it ever again. Right. You know, so. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get it. I, I don't mind them having that. Uh, I, did, I didn't mind having that uh, stereotype or uh, stigma that I'm going to take it because I knew I, if I did, it was because I wanted to make sure that it was clear that they, they weren't going to come back. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of people, they'll go somewhere else and try and file a complaint to somebody else's ear, wh- whoever will listen. Yeah. And give them the time, you know? So yeah, it was about documentation. So, yeah. So how are you feeling right now? Now that you've had like a couple of years, just like freedom of just, you can do whatever you want. Well, it hasn't been a couple of years. It feels like a long time. (laughs) I know it looks like it, but uh, it'll be a year in February. So it'll be a year next month. Oh, is it? It's only been a year? Yes. (laughs) It'll be a year 
January, February 7th. It'll be a year. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, I didn't want to start the company until I had a year to enjoy and just yeah. relax. And it feels good, Adam. Yeah. You look like, you look lighter, like relax. You look all relaxed. Like you look lighter. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice life. It's, it's good. Um, so <clears throat> how do I feel after? Well, what's a, a big, what's the biggest off? transition you had to deal with or like the, um, retirement, you know, I know that there's a lot of guys right now looking at what's next and, um, looking at retirement or new prospects and what's the biggest challenge you had to face for going on to that next step? Uh, well, I can't say that I've had any challenge. Well, my only challenges is that, I, that I'm facing is moving like my car to Virginia. I have two cars now. My fiance has several. So, and she's a captain with the sheriff's department. And she should be retiring maybe in the next year. So she bosses you around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I don't even, I think that's the. Are you want a pip at home too? <laughs> right. <laughs> I should tell, I should, I should print one out here. I think we need this, you know. Uh, so my challenges haven't been great because. Uh, as you know, I've always enjoyed traveling and having hobbies, and I would, you know, always encourage other, you know, officers to do the same. You know, sometimes I would sit down and talk to them about my travels, you know, who I booked through, and you know, just even even local stuff. If you know you're into mountain biking or you know just having hobbies. So for me, mentally, I started preparing myself to have a life away from work. So. When I made the transition, I just had more time to do my hobbies, you know, and enjoy things that I, I, I like to do. Uh, as I kind of joked with you about, I, I, I'm usually someplace having a mimosa on Fridays. Yeah, you, we you can know, have a mimosa. I'm, I mean, you have a coffees right now, but we can, you know. I know. I'm, I'm having tea. I started to pour some oh, Grand okay. Marquet in here. <laughs> I, I don't know about your audience. But, uh so for me, the transition and the challenges were few because I had already kind of started uh, mentally preparing myself, you know, five years before just enjoying traveling hobbies so that it just became an extension of, you know, my life, you know, and, uh, I, I love my place in Virginia. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be glad when she, she finally retires, we can go full time. Yeah. It looks amazing. It's just, you know, it is, it is. The gun laws are different. <laughs> Adam, we were coming back from Buck Row Beach about an hour from the house. There were guys on motorcycles, uh, rockets, crotch rockets, with their shirts flapping up. All of them had handguns on. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a different state, yeah. different rules, you know. Even when we stopped, I was talking to an attorney on the beach, I was asking him about the jazz events that they have at the location. And when he found out I was part of law enforcement, he lifted up his shirt. He had a gun on him too, you know? So I just thought, wow, this is funny. You know, all these people out here are just carrying guns. I go into the gun store to get ammo. Cause I, you know, I keep a gun at the house and I didn't want to transport ammo. I just figured I'll buy ammo when I get there. So I'm in the gun store. Uh, everybody's got a gun on their hip, you know, <laughs> Is it open carry then. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I haven't even really looked into the law, but I just noticed a lot of people uh, seem to be pretty free about carrying their firearms. Yeah. You, know? Uh, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, you know, coming from California. Oh yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was cool. <laughs> so you talk about your hobbies. I know you like. Obviously, you're starting this company of shooting, but like you, you've been shooting for forever. Right. And you always show up with like some weird looking firearm to to show off at work. <laughs> <laughs> Something that collapses or is like small, like the noisy cricket. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, the Caltech KSG shotgun is beautiful for home defense. Uh, Caltech Sub Two Thousand, which is a nine millimeter carbine, uh, it, it's it's great. You know, my kids like shooting that. So there, there. You know, there's good hobbies, and it gives people. Uh, when I let people shoot them at the range, it gives them an idea of the variety they can have, you know, for their own home protection or if they're just out and about, whatever, you know, depending on what your state laws are. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, your new venture here, Alexander Century Group. Alexander Century Group. How did that come about? You told the me about name, the name. The name came about because, you know, I've always wanted to honor my grandfather and my dad. So I kept it with, you know, Alexander, which means defender of man. So I wanted to keep Alexander in it. But uh, looking through, when I was looking, doing my logo, it was a lot of the names that I wanted were taken. And so Sentry, if you don't, most people don't know, because I've had a few people ask me what is a Sentry. Uh, in the Marine Corps, I first learned about Sentry. Sentry is like guarding your post. Sentry is, you know, basically a, a warrior, a soldier who is uh, monitoring a post. So uh, that that's how that name came about, Alexander Sentry. And I had to throw a group on because all the other uh, <laughs> end names were taken from for my domain. <laughs> so for my domain name, I, I came up with that. Well, I think that name encompasses your entire, you know, story, your whole career and what you've all been all about this entire entire time so that's i think it's a good name i like it and your logo and your logo is really cool thank you thank you i as a young man in atlanta who did the logo for me you know i just put it out there and he came up with that i was like that's it that's it so yeah that's cool so uh what is your you said you kind of brought it up in the beginning of of the episode but like what is your focus um i know you i've seen your instagram it's really cool seeing all you take your kids out shooting it's really awesome to see Dude, I need to take my kids out. I want to. I want them to teach them how to shoot as well. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll hit you up. You can take us out because they'll probably, they'll probably learn better from someone else. How old are they? Uh, ten and eight. But I want to. Okay. I want to. You know, start teaching them like all the safety stuff now. Uh, before we you know, before we start moving and stuff. So, uh, side note uh, to that, uh, my kids. We practice in the living room for about a month, uh, just dry firing safety. You know. Pulling, you know, engaging the trigger, uh, taking your finger off the trigger, putting it on safe, then, you know, having our conversation just so they got into a muscle memory of, you know, after after pulling the trigger, putting it on safety. And if they wanted to talk, you know, they knew to put it down, you know, and talk. So, yeah. so that it wasn't entirely new to them once we got on the range and all the other commotion, you know, was going on. So but that, that would be my suggestion. The training, yeah, the instilling it early, that makes sense. Because I know we've all been to the range where I've taken people to the range where they do that thing and then they look and they point the gun to the side. And you're, what are you doing? You know, But they've never yeah. shot before. You can't 
they don't have the wherewithal to know that. So it makes sense to kids like it definitely that practice. Yes. So, cause you, uh, someone else hit me up and asked me if I would take their son. I was like, you know, I don't have the time to go over some of the safety with your son. Cause he, he was young. He was, a young, I think he was about seven. He says with someone, you know, at that age, you, you might want to, you know, practice with them at home in a living room, a completely unloaded, safe firearm. You know, right. let me just throw that out there and, uh, and go over uh, these good habits with them so that when you go out, you know, I was just out with my daughter and it was for me, uh, it was just beautiful seeing her have good safety. You know, I was doing some running gun and I can hear her flipping it on safety, taking her finger off when she would run to different targets. And I was like, that's, that, that's every, that safety is most important. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but she was skipping. Yes, I did see that skipping, and it reminded me of my kids so much. Like the what is this skipping across the dirt is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, but, but she's like, it's she's on target though. That's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she skipped. <laughs> and when I showed her that, she didn't know she was skipping. Oh, you know? that's, that's so the, funny. The little girl in her and her level of comfort. You know, yeah, oh yeah, she, she looks super AR-15. comfortable. Yeah. Those that don't know, she was shooting an AR-15, and she was just very comfortable with it, but she kept it down range. You know, you could hear her flipping safety on and off between engaging targets. Uh, she was just relaxed in our little happy space. So Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's your uh, Instagram handles for people so they can follow you? That's Alexander Century Group. So at Alexander Century Group, and they can you can see like all those videos on there. You post some videos pretty regular. That's cool. Yes, and my um, my website is uh, linked onto that, and in, in the in the bio. What is it? It's same AlexanderCenturyGroup.com. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so your your target, like the people that you're um, training right now, or who you've trained, and the kind of people is like is a home defense um, and like kind of new to shooting. I'm not doing anything for home defense, uh, but I am, again, basic pistol and rifle. You know, you're talking uh, someone who just bought a gun and don't they, they don't have a clue on what to do next. So I'm going over grip, trigger pull, stance, uh, sight alignment, sight picture. And I believe it or not, I've had some guys that come out that said they could shoot. And standing still, they were fine. But once we started moving, they weren't hitting anything. So, you know, I had to work with them in a, in a different, you know, respect. So well, they like weren't half the police officers. So you can be, yeah, you can be an intermediate shooter. But if you feel like, you know, you if you've all you ever done was stand still and shoot at a target and you want to try something different, again, you know, at being a range safety officer, I can set up you know, ranges, that's what range safety officers kind of do also is just make sure everybody's being safe, not necessarily teaching sometimes, but I can, uh, you know, set them up and put them through some, just some basic, you know, closing, you know, backing up and moving around, uh, shoot, shooting on the move type of stuff, which if you've never done it, it's a lot of fun. And again, it takes a, another skill set <laughs> yeah, sure. while you're moving, you know, so, but my, my basic target audience, new shooters. Yeah. Intermediate. If you've never had a chance to move around and, uh, engage in targets. And, uh, where are you doing the courses at when you take people out? So 
primarily I've been at Rahagi's. Uh, Where is that? Rahagi's is in Corona. Uh, there's also uh, Rangers in Vegas because I'm in Vegas too. Uh, believe it or not, my fiance has a condo out there. And so that's where I've moved all of my stuff, my address. That's where I'm based out of is Nevada. So I'm out there at her condo. So I'm, I'm there also because I have a home in Richmond when I'm out there, you know, I've made connections with the gun shops out there and uh, there are some outdoor ranges just that uh, it's different for Richmond because you have to be mindful of the weather. Like uh, they'll probably get snow between now and March. So, cause I prefer outdoor ranges, right? Uh, indoor ranges are fine if that's your thing, but I, I lean towards outdoor ranges. So, uh, also in LA, there's Angeles Crest, Angeles ranges, uh, just, it's like going towards, uh, it's North of LA. Uh, but th- those ranges are uh, pretty decent also. And, uh, people don't know, I choose outdoor ranges because of the ventilation systems are better. Uh, you know, just in terms of inhaling and breathing lead. Right. Uh, and I always encourage my students to wash their hands thoroughly when they're done shooting, because you don't want to go with this lead on your fing- fingers and you're eating your finger foods. Now you're ingesting it, which, you know, could potentially be a health hazard for you later on as far as cancer goes. Yeah. So, but so, anyway, so like, anyway, that's what like you thought of. All yeah. Right. Say that uh, again. Sorry. I can hear you. I, I, that's why I prefer the outdoor ranges just for ventilation and being able to move around yeah. and you don't know what the level of experience is to your left and right. <laughs> well, it's good too. I mean, the, like you said, like the moving around your spacing, like you have way more space compared to like indoor ranges. You talk about like guy that you said that, that didn't know what he was doing and he asked you for help. Um, I know people have seen some tragic things happen at indoor ranges and you're in close proximity to people who don't know how to shoot. So yeah, it's, it's no, that makes sense. I get that. I get that mindset. Um, that's really cool. I'm glad you're on this new venture and I think that you're going to be really successful. And you said you have, you're licensed, you have like your range safety license and do you, what was the other license you said you had? These were two of them. So, uh, pistol and rifle instructor and uh, range safety officer. Really cool. Uh, one thing I want to check in with you here, um, before we close out, I want to, I don't know if this could be a tricky question here, but um, you talked early on about your grow, your growing up and your parents. How and how did that kind of end? Like with your parents, like what ha- when ended up when ended up happening with your parents? Like over time. Sure. Um, at forty-seven, my dad passed away. Uh, my mom went into rehab. She spent uh, years in rehab and. She's doing well now. And uh, my sister also ended up in rehab. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think everyone ended up with some sort of substance abuse problem except for me. Wow. You know. But, wow. Uh, yeah, so my mom is doing good. My yeah. sister is doing good. You know, unfortunately, my dad uh, ended up passing away. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Yeah, yeah, me too. He missed a lot, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean to see his son all successful and grown up, and you know, yeah. living the you know straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah. I ended up uh, picking up one of those new Broncos, the big ones, and uh, my sister was just like, "Oh, I wish Daddy could see you," you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. 
I'll have to send you a picture of it. I just took it off roading yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, up in uh, San Bernardino. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, you sent me a picture. I, uh, I'm i really glad to hear that your mom and your sister are doing well. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure, like, it was a struggle for them for a long time. And you came out of it uh, successful, and you were able to keep that mindset. I like how you talk about, um, like, throughout your career, just having this really, like, this mindset that kind of got you through childhood through the military onto, you know, even any struggles you've had through the policing and then even now into this new venture. I think it's, I think it's uh, admirable to, you know, be, have that steady mindset and um, just to continue to move forward. Yeah. Well, the reality is you have to be humble, but confident, you know, humble enough to ask people for help, talk to uh, others that are around you and uh, you know, who may have gone through some things that you're going through, get their advice and uh, be confident enough, you know, in your abilities, because you cannot do that if you are not the sharpest tool in a shed. You know, you, you just shoot yourself in the foot if you're too arrogant to uh, own your own mistakes and realize, okay, maybe I could have did something better. But, you know, if not, then, you know, if that's not the case and that's not the case. But you all the way around <clears throat> have to be a humble person and do a self-assessment about certain things just to make sure that you're in line, you know, and if you're in line, you're good. You understand the assignment, you know, then, uh, you know, by all means, be confident, continue to march. Don't let uh, that one person, because a lot of times it is just that one supervisor or one coworker that you just will, for some reason, never get along with. Right. Oh, you can't let them make or break your career, you know, because there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, yeah, and I think that's so, so, that's hard for some people to see sometimes. Um, I mean, I know I was in there too at, that, at one point, just like it, to see that light is difficult, but to know that they feel that hope and to feel that ability, like see other people are able to get out of it, um, and their struggles, and then they're they're they've had maybe harder times or different times that are similar, and to see that hope, I think, is important. And by being able to relate and know that hey, you went through something and you can help someone else with your story. Mm-hmm. Yep. I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, like you said, we'll just repeat your, uh, your handles real quick. You can find um, Alexander Century Group at, at Alexander Century Group. Yes. On Instagram and then www.alexandercenturygroup.com. Yes. And Century you can, spelled with an S. Century with an S. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and just for clarification, it's Century is S E N T R Y. Not century like. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. That is good. I didn't even think that, but that's a good clarification. Right. I mean, you know, because we're talking about it and they don't see it, they could right. be imagining see the C E N T. Yeah. You know. I'll uh, try to script. put it up. I'll put it up when I post this, and I'll put it up uh, exactly your website and your handle and everything, so it'll be in the notes and the show notes. Okay. But yeah, Ray. Go. Thank you, sir. Hey, when you're in when you're in Virginia, I want to come out. I got to come out to this place, man. I got to see it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, let me know. All right. Sounds good. We'll, We'll talk soon. All right. Love you, brother. All right, buddy. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Let's Grab a Cup podcast. And I was able to talk to my friend Ray Alexander. And you can find him at Alexander Century Group or alexandercenturygroup.com. And don't be mistaken, that's Century with an S-E-N-T-R-Y as a guardian. So uh, if you look at me up, I'll be on surgeonwellness.com or letsgrabacup.com. Let's talk.